Good morning and welcome. Happy Easter to all of you in person and online. It is a delight to be connected and together, whether in person or online, whether live or later in the week, whenever you join us, we know God's spirit is big enough to embrace you right where you are. And so whether you're watching or listening or whatever way that you are connecting with us, we are delighted, trusting that God's presence is always and everywhere with us on this Easter morning. You know, we call ourselves an Easter people. Uh, the church, followers of Jesus, have long called ourselves an Easter people. And this year I've been toying with the idea of what does it really mean to be an Easter people? Because if we're quite frank, um, it's, it's a word. It's a word, it's a celebration. Uh, Easter baskets and eggs and rabbits. And we had this conversation before worship. Uh, could you bring together, James, exactly how it is we got rabbits and eggs, which do not really relate to each other. You know, rabbits don't lay eggs. Uh, they're mammals, etc. What is that all about? And I said, no, we're not going to tie that together today. So if that's something you're really intrigued by, uh, we can have a longer conversation uh, about that at another point. But what makes us an Easter people? Is it just that Jesus uh, left the tomb? That Jesus uh, was enlivened again? Or is there something about Easter Sunday and about every Sunday and about every day and every breath and every moment that can invite us to live as a resurrection people. Not just on Easter, but every moment of our lives. And what does it mean to be a people of the resurrection? Is it just that we believe Jesus came back to life uh, and that God had the final word over death? And in itself, that's, a, that's good news. The final word is not death. We think it is. Uh, it seems like a, an ending. If you've ever sat at the bedside of someone who is dying, and I have, and as they breathe their last rattling breath, uh, is that the end? And sometimes, and many people wonder, I almost showed you a video clip. We almost did two video clips today. One was this wonderful interview with people, uh, resurrection or Easter. Is it... Uh, is it uh, real or fantasy? Real or fantasy? And an intriguing number of people on the street answered fantasy. Uh, and others said real. And the ones that said real, what's intriguing is they ask questions like, uh, well then, how do you, how does that, when you say it's real, how is it real to you? I don't know. Uh, what is it, does it make any difference in your everyday life? No, not really. Uh, it's real, but real how and why? Well, I'm going to try to play with some images that come to us in the Gospel of John in the resurrection story, the, uh, the first piece of the resurrection story anyway, the Easter Sunday morning uh, resurrection story. If you've been at St. James for any number of years, 
This is almost always the resurrection story I read you every uh, year. So much like if you've been at a Christmas Eve service and heard me read the Luke passage, you have heard me read this John passage about the resurrection. So I'm reading to you beginning in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1, uh, up through verse 18 of uh, the Gospel of John. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so she ran off to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and told them, the rabbi has been taken from the tomb. We don't know where they have put Jesus. At that, Peter and the other disciple started toward the tomb. They were running side by side, but then the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He didn't enter, but bent down to peer in and saw the linen wrappings lying on the ground. Then Simon Peter arrived and entered the tomb. He observed the linen wrappings on the ground and saw the piece of cloth that had covered Jesus' head, lying not with the wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the disciple who had arrived first at the tomb went in. He saw and believed. And yet they did not understand the scripture that Jesus was to rise from the dead. Then Jesus, then the disciples went back to their homes. Meanwhile, Mary stood weeping beside the tomb. Even as she wept, she stooped to peer inside, and there she saw two angels in dazzling robes. One was seated at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had lain. They asked her, why are you weeping? She answered them, because they have taken away my rabbi and I don't know where they put the body. No sooner had she said this than she turned around and caught sight of Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. He asked her, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? She supposed it was the gardener, so she said, please, if you're the one who carried Jesus away, just tell me where you've laid the body and I'll take care of it. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to Abba God. Rather go to the sisters and brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Abba and to your Abba, my God and your God. Mary of Magdala went to the disciples. I have seen the teacher, she announced. Then she reported what the Savior had said to her. This is the gospel for this morning. Praise be to God. You know, there are lots of beautiful images there. Uh, at the Easter sunrise service, I focused on the fact that everything in life seems to be a competition, including how fast you can get to the uh, tomb. Uh, there's a race, a foot race, and once, you know, uh, we learn the beloved disciple is faster than Peter. Um, and I'm sure he never, or she, they, it never says exactly a gender, uh, never let Peter live it down. You know, I got there first. <laughs> I was there first. Oh. I was there first, except Mary was there first, actually. They, they were there second, but it doesn't matter. So we focused on how everything in life seems to be a competition. 
But what caught my image this week as I tried to think about how we're a resurrection people is that we are meant to live like resurrected people. Not just resurrection people, because that's a noun. To resurrect, to be filled with resurrection life, that's what the image is. And it's no accident that Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener. Because in Jesus there is new creation. There is new creation in us. And it's like the garden all over again. And here's Jesus tending to the garden. And it's the garden of our hearts. It's the garden of life. It's the opportunity for this future that God wants for us. A future that is embodied in the words, each of us is infinitely precious. Each of us unconditionally loved for the gift we already are. It's embodied in those words to live into that future as it invades the present moment. In a way, we kind of live in an in-between space. I keep telling you to live now, and we live now. And we have no power over the future, except the future is coming at us. It's invading our lives. This opportunity to live and live fully is what Easter is all about. It's not about the competition. I don't care what American society tells you about how we must compete with each other and who's better and who's faster and who gets to the... Who gets to the tomb first? Who cares? Who cares? Uh, over and over again, the gospel story tells stories of people who, for whom that's their question. That's their concern. You know, I want to get there first. Who's going to get the best seat at the table? Who gets to sit next to Jesus? Uh, over and over again, who gets the best spot? Uh, in lots of different ways, that's our question. And it's not about who gets the best spot. Can there be a better spot than being alive and in love and living that love every moment? Now, it's really hard to see. Look around the word, world. Read the news. Josh is, uh, is often my reality check. And my beloved son, you know, said, you know, said to me in a recent conversation, you know, Dad, I know you think everyone is good and you love everyone. And at the core, you know, you believe that. I think that is a pile of excrement. He might have used other words. Uh, he said, there are some people in the world that are just bad, Dad. Just look around. They're just bad. And I said, well, at the core, I really believe they're good. Well, then, you know, he talk, spoke for 10 minutes about bad people and what he thought ought to happen to bad people, and all of those kinds of things. And I understand completely where he's coming from. I, I hear him. I hear him. I don't see the world the same way, but I understand that. It looks like some people win, and the people who win seem to be the biggest cheaters. Uh, the people who uh, uh, win don't seem to play by the same rules that everybody else is supposed to play by. Josh had this pronouncement to me this week that, like, floored me. The UN no longer considers the United States a democracy. They consider us, they consider us a, a capitalistic oligarchy run by the people with money. I think that's very interesting. I go and vote, does it make a difference? That's a side issue, but that's why Josh sees the world this way. You know, it becomes a question of, of who's winning. And as long as we're worried about that question, we miss the truth of Easter. Because it's not about winning. 
In the end, there's room for all of us to win. There's room for all of us to love. Loving and or not loving is a choice we make. We can choose to live or we can choose not to live. I was, I was watching a video that I thought about using today and I didn't, but the question that came up in the middle of the video that I thought was really interesting. If you're afraid of dying, is it because you're really afraid of living? If you're afraid of dying, is it because you're really afraid of what real living looks like? Because it looks like risk and it looks vulnerable and it looks scary. And it looks like the people that win are the Romans who crucified Jesus. That's what it looks like. On Friday night, that's where we left. And then we had to sit and wait in between. Saturday is always the day of waiting. Now you see, in the first century, in the first, for the first Easter... That's what they thought. It was over. You and I know better. We've heard the Easter story. We've known the resurrection. This is not, this is not our first dance, our first time at the ballgame. We know who, where, who's pitching and what they're throwing, and that's a curveball, all those kinds of things. We know that. This is not our first rodeo, so to speak. But even knowing that Easter is coming, we realize there's that moment in between when we're yearning for what that life looks like. We get a taste of it. Maybe it's in the love of a child. Maybe it's when we taste that perfect dessert and we just get that flavor on our palate. Maybe it's when somebody does something for us, not because we deserve it. We spend a lot of time worrying about who deserves what in this world. But they do it even though we feel undeserving just because. I sort of feel that way every Sunday that Josh makes brunch for us. It's like, it's not because we deserve it. It's because he wants to do it. Over and over again, those are the kinds of things that give us a taste of what it could be like. Imagine if we looked out for each other all the time just because. You see, that's the invasion of this life God wants for us to have. That's the resurrected life that Jesus wants us to live. Now, we think of the resurrection as happening on, on Easter. This is when the resurrection happened. I think long before, I think resurrection is more than a reanimated corpse. It's a different quality of life. And you see, I think long before Jesus was resurrected physically, reanimated physically, he lived a resurrection life. He lived a resurrected life because everyone he met, he lived as though they were already part of his friendly family. We talked briefly about it at, uh, at Good Friday night, but when he gathered at the table, and if you read the Gospel of Mark clearly, it sounds like the people who came to Jerusalem with him weren't just the 12 men, but there were a whole group of women, and they're listed in the Gospel of Mark, at least three by name, but they said, and a whole bunch more came up with him. I can't imagine that they would have a Passover meal where there was 12 men sitting in a room by themselves and the women were off somewhere else. They shared Passover together. He made this table behind me a whole new measurement for family. There is no one who is not welcome at the table. You're not forced to come. You're not forced to receive the love of God. It just is there for you. But you're welcome. 
God's constantly beckoning and inviting you into this future that you can almost taste. When I taste the bread and drink the cup, I can almost taste what Easter is supposed to be about because I can see it in the life of Jesus. He lived a different quality of life. He actually stopped and talked to the person at the side of the road, the same person that I consider to be slowing me down from getting where else I'm going. Oh my gosh, there's a person up there. I've got to talk to them. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. You know, I'm in a rush. It's that competition. Ooh, I've got to get there fast. I've got to beat whoever else is going to be there. And almost, any, almost anything I go to, I'm, you know, I was raised. My father told me if you weren't 15 minutes early, you were late. So uh, I was, maybe not those exact words, Dad, but something like that I remember you saying. And so I always like to be early. So even stopping to talk to someone for two minutes and I'm supposed to be somewhere else. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. Do I have time? I have now. And Jesus made sure that now was all that he had. Right now, there's a guy at the side of the road who called my name. I'm going to stop and talk to him. But Jesus, we got somewhere else to be. I'm going to stop and talk to him. A woman touched my robe. I'm on my way to go see someone else. Who touched me? Who touched me? I'm going to stop and talk to this woman. Unfortunately, we don't know her name. I'm going to stop and talk to her. You know, I'm not going to rush on. Because for Jesus, now was where he was. We don't live in that time. I want to tell you one of the most refreshing experiences I've had in my life and disconcerting at the very same time. In the 80s, I... I went with a group of American church members and people in training for, uh, uh, to be clergy. I went with a group to a world evangelism conference in, in Accra, in Ghana. And we went to learn, because the African church was just growing by leaps and bounds, and the American church was starting to shrink. It's really shrunk now, but it was starting to shrink in the early 80s. And so I went with this part of this conference and um, while I was there, there was just this life, this experience of worship that was different. They told me before I go, just to prepare me, that worship in Ghana would last about three hours. And I thought three hours of what we do in America, it would kill me. <laughs> it wasn't three hours like that. I didn't even understand Fante, which was the language that the... Sometimes I went to a couple of services in Ga, but uh, mostly Fante. I didn't understand what they were saying. I never felt left out. There was an energy and aliveness, a spirit. We danced, we sang, we danced up to put our offering in. We danced in thanks to God. And it was a powerful experience. But let me tell you about how scheduled worship was. They would tell me a time to make me, the Western guy, feel good. Like, they would have a sunrise service in the morning. Every morning, there would be an early service. They told me to make me happy. We're going to go to service tomorrow morning. It's 5.30. We arrived at 5.30. In fact, we arrived before 5.30. I was really concerned. I said, we've got to get there before 5.30. We got there. It was like quarter after 5. So we have 15 minutes. 5.30 comes. 5.30 goes. It hasn't started. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I did this in America, someone would come after me. You know, someone would be like sitting in the back of the worship center. 
Hello, you know what time it is. It's 11 o'clock. Joy would point at me. James, it's 11 o'clock. Get up there. <laughs> Whoops. That's not how it works. It's not, uh, it's not until the community is there that worship begins. So it may say, they, they told me 5.30 so I would know to be there in time. One 5.30 service I went to started at around 6.15. That's when the community arrived. That's when worship could happen. It wasn't, God, you better show up at 11 o'clock. It was, we're going to start showing up at 5.30, and when the Spirit is there, we will start to worship. And when the Spirit is ready, we will end worship. It was, it, it was infuriating and enlivening. Because it was filled with life. My life wasn't run there by a clock. I kept trying to run it by a clock, but it wasn't run by the clock. It was run by the people I encountered. And worship couldn't begin until the people were there. That's the way that it is. It was exciting. It was an adventure. It was Jesus' time. It was Jesus' time because Jesus would stop and as long as you had a question or a concern or need to be healed, he was there. And then when you finished your conversation with him, he moved on over here. And you see, that's resurrected life. He was living the resurrected life long before he was killed and raised from the dead. Because the quality of resurrection life is to realize I'm here now. I am alive and I want to really live, not just exist, not just follow the schedule, make sure I'm on time at 9 o'clock, 10.30, you know, whatever next appointment is for you, you know, but to live like every moment mattered, not that it's just a moment on the way somewhere else. I no longer get upset in traffic. I can really say that truthfully. Okay, every once in a while, someone cuts me off and scares me, and then I get upset, and then I let it go. But most of the time, I recently went into the district for a meeting of other clergy at Wesley Theological Seminary, and we sat in traffic. It was a morning, started at 9 o'clock in the morning. You can imagine what it's like going into the district at 9 o'clock in the morning. So I, I left early, and I was sat in traffic. I couldn't go any faster. Neither could the person in front of me. I could probably go slower, but I don't think that, you know, snails, you know, non-movement was quite possible. We were moving a little bit. And during that time in that, uh, I, I treat my time in my car as my monastic hermitage time. I don't have to go anywhere. No one can hear me. I can talk to God. I can think about things that are important to me. I can empty my mind. I don't even turn on the radio. I sit in silence. I know. If you need the radio, play the radio. If you need talk radio because you need to be stirred up, go right ahead. Whatever it is, I listen in silence to the sounds around me. I try to catch a glimpse while paying attention to the car in front of me and on the sides of me. But you see... We're always in a rush to get somewhere, but we're here now. We're here now. And maybe if we really were here now, whenever we got wherever there is, we'd really be there too. But oftentimes when we get there, we're on our way 
to another there. <laughs> or we got there, and now we've got to come back here. Because uh, we forgot something here, and we've got to go back there. And all we have is now. And if we're living the resurrection life, the resurrected life like Jesus, we live now in this moment. Just in case you were worried, we're not going to start to run worship at St. James like my experience in, in Ghana was. Uh, we're not starting until the people come. Uh, we're not going to do that. But there's something beautiful about realizing that worship doesn't happen until the people are here. There's something beautiful about that. Something real about that. Whenever Jesus started preaching, that's when the service started. And uh, whenever people arrived, that's when my experience of worship started. So, uh, look at your lives. Look at your lives and ask the question, am I living now or am I afraid to live now? To really be here now? with the people who are around me, who I can actually physically see? Or am I only living like in anticipation of the person I will see next? Okay, I've seen you. I'm going to see another person. I wasn't pointing at you, Chris. I just, you happen to be over in the direction I made that gesture. You know, I've seen you. I want to move on to the next one. Be where you are. Live a truly resurrected life where the future of God's love is invading you right now. And you taste it every time you pay attention to where you are and who you're with. Even if the only one you're with is you. Because God's there too. Live a resurrected life, my friends. Don't just be an Easter people. Be a resurrected people.